Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Flypass podcast. For this episode, we're joined by Dave Gibson, who can talk about a variety of topics, but today is going to share some of his knowledge of World War II airfields around Lincolnshire. Hi, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Hello there. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me. Brilliant. Um, if you give me a second, I'll just explain how you come to be here today, because it was through Nick Taylor that I found out about you. Um, Nick has already recorded a podcast with us, and through following him on Instagram, I saw you given a talk about Lancasters at one of the evenings at Metheringham. So obviously we got talking and then we decided to talk about a slightly different topic and this is why you're here now. So why don't we just start with a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Okay, yeah. Um, as I say, I'm Dave Gibson. I'm a CAA flying instructor. I've been flying and instructing for 30 years, although I've been flying for a lot longer. I've instructed for the Royal Air Force as a reserve flying instructor. I'm now a, a CAA authorised flight examiner. Head of training at uh, the flying school at Humberside Airport. I'm an amateur aviation historian. I've been interested in um, aircraft, the history of the Royal Air Force, and more especially the airfields of Lincolnshire and the, the, the Bomber Command. So ever since I've been really small, I've been looking into it and uh, gradually built up my knowledge over the years and years and years to where we are now. And I suppose growing up in Lincolnshire, it's one of those things that you can't avoid in airfield. Every which way you go, there's going to be a remnant or a relic somewhere. Absolutely. Where I live, not far from Brig, we're just up the road from Elsham Wolds and Kermington, which is now Humberside Airport. And my friends and I used to get on our bikes and we used to go up there and explore. And that's where I started to try and find out what the buildings were and what the layout of the airfields were and how it came to be there. And um, this is where this is where I am, and I've gradually built on that. And say, as a child, it's one of those things that it gets into your your soul, isn't it? So once you start on on a road for something, it it kind of builds your character. So obviously, the RAF Association where you grew up is what led you down the road of becoming a pilot. It is. That's right. It's um, it's been my life's ambition really to fly, and um, it's been something that I've been wanting to do. And I did actually apply for the RAF when I was younger. But I got rejected on medical grounds because I had and still have problems with hay fever. So that precluded me from from being pilot or or air crew of any description. So what I had to do was I had to work at it myself and uh, gradually over the years built up my experience to get to, to where I am as an examiner. It's a peculiar trait, but so far on all these podcasts, the amount of people I've met who've tried to join the RAF and have not for, for various reasons, and have then gone off and had a, a fascinating career in aviation anyway, it's, it's quite astounding. It is. It, it, the, R, the RAF are very good at rejecting people. <laughs> they, are, they, they only recruit, um, well, I'm not sure if it's the same now, but they only recruit people who are suitable for fast jets. And anyone who flies anything else other than a fast jet has failed in some way, whereas in the civilian world, it's not like that at all. So you were saying off, off um, microphone that you were a, flight, a flying instructor. So how many hours have you amassed so far? I've got in my logbook about six six 6,500 flying hours, of which about 5,000 are instructional. Which is not to be sneezed at, if you pardon the pun, obviously with the hay fever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's taken me. Uh, well, um, it was last week. 
in the end of September was the 50th anniversary of my first flying lesson. Did you celebrate in style? I actually was fly, flew with a student over RAF Hemswell, which is where the flight undertook, undertook from. So I had a student with me and we just went down to Hemswell and flew over the bit that I flew over 50 years ago. Well, that's, that's a, a nice little I've been to Hemswell many times, but now it's obviously it's the antique centre. So there's, there's nothing flying out of there anymore. It is. That's that's right. It's it's a shadow of its former self. I mean, when I first flew there in 1971, it was still under care and maintenance. It was still parented by RAF Scampton and um, in some cases used as a relief landing ground for training aircraft, including us. We was based there with the Air Training Corps and we flew our gliders out of there. It was very much a, an, an airfield that was, was in use, although it was most of its time was unoccupied, but it was a, a fantastic place. All the gardens were immaculate. The curbstones were painted black and white. It was a, a really nice place to be. And I suppose, having been flying for so long, you've seen a lot of these fantastic bases go. You know, they've disappeared over the years. Yeah, I have. Hemswell being one of them, Binbrook being another. That one was, was a, a lightning base until the ni- late 1980s. And now they're just basically industrial estates with various industry on them. And they just don't look really anything like how they were. I've got um, an RAF map from 1945 of Lincolnshire. And it looks like someone's just scattered airfields everywhere. It's like they've peppered something with a shotgun and they've just built an airfield pretty much everywhere, you know, overlapping and on every side of the hills. And there's, there's an awful lot of aviation history in Lincolnshire. Oh, there is. Since 1912, when aviation first started in Lincolnshire, there are 86 sites that have been used for flying aircraft from, one way, shape or form, a total of 86 sites in, in one county. And that's quite an amazing thing, really. I remember reading something a few years ago saying that the British Isles was effectively just one giant aircraft carrier during the Second World War. It was, that's right. It's a lot of the airfields that were being built in, in East Anglia and so on in 1942 were given over to the Americans. The, the airfields were placed in, in many respects very close together. It had to be under the control of, of one parent station. Like Elsham Wolds, for, for that, take an example, was the parent station for three sites in total, one of them being Elsham, the other one being North Killingham, and the other one being Kermington. And they were the controlling authority for that group of airfields. So they coordinated all the aircraft departing and arriving to all three airfields because of the risk of collisions, because all the circuit patterns overlapped. And obviously, um, the amount of airfields that were built, there was an awful lot of land acquired from farmers and uh, authorities. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. They, uh, the airfields were, well, we, ge- we generally started in Lincolnshire with what's called the expansion scheme. Prior to the uh, advent of the expansion scheme, we were still using, for flying purposes, pre-war grass airfields. And the aircraft that we used were, at the time were the, still the pre-war biplanes. I mean, one, one of the bombers that we, we used at that time was the Handley Page Hayford and the Vickers Virginia, which were really just bigger, bigger versions of World War I biplanes. But in the 1930s, when we saw a resurgent threat from Germany in the respect of the uh, the advent of what led to World War Two, we had to expand our armed services. And the RAF, being the junior service, 
that really got quite a, a thrust of, of, of money because it was still very much in its infancy. So in the early 1930s, we started on what was called the expansion scheme for, for the RAF. And that involved building new airfields, updating our aircraft, and generally bringing the, the Royal Air Force into some sort of modern service. So we looked around, land was, was acquired for expansion scheme airfields. And the ones in Lincolnshire are, are, are notably Waddington, Scampton, Hemswell, Binbrook, Swinderby, Coningsby, and for, on the fighter command station, the Curtin Lindsay. They were the main ones which were built during the 1930s. Waddington really being the first, followed by Scampton and Hemswell, which were opened in on around 1936. But it had to be done that way because we were bringing into operational service modern bombers that needed proper servicing requirements and proper hangars, not just tents and huts. I mean, we had the Bristol Blenheim, the Handley Page Hampton, the Armstrong Whitworth Whitley, and the best of the bunch was the was the Wellington, of course, which went on to serve right up until the end of 1945 and beyond in a training role. So the expansion scheme itself started in 1934, and we already had 52 airfields in the UK, which were in various degrees of permanency. Some were just huts and canvas hangars with grass fields. Others were a little bit more permanent, but that increased those numbers to, to 138. And these, these were located mostly in the east of England, recognising the threat from Germany. But what they did, they incorporated buildings which were to a standard design. The design of the buildings was influenced by the Royal Fine Arts Commission and also the Society for the Protection of Rural England. So there were quite an aesthetically pleasing design. And that's what you, you see nowadays at many of the stations if you were to visit them. There were really luxurious places when they were opened. I mean, Hemswell itself was opened in 1936, and the the buildings were, were amazing, really. It had central proper central heating with a, a, a boiler house feeding hot water to uh, the the blocks and so on. And imagine if you were an airman at that time and joined the Royal Air Force and was posted to one of these places and you, you had bathrooms with hot running water, you had central heating. The buildings themselves were built with within built coving and, and dado rails inside the blocks. You were really in the height of luxury because most houses at that time didn't have anything like that. So that's where the RAF got its name from, really, as being a, quite a, a luxurious organisation to be in. But the, the other buildings as well, were the hangars were proper constructed hangars made out of some material initially called blast-proof concrete, which was designed to withstand a, a bomb blast, a German 250-kilo bomb blast, at a range of 50 metres or 50 yards. So they were very, very well built. Obviously, as time went on, corners got cut because the advent of war and so on. We had to make these airfields a lot quicker, so we had to do it a bit cheaper. So the other construction materials for hangars was brick and steel to make things a bit quicker. Some hangars, like the ones at Swinderby, they really cut the corners and they were uh, just a, a steel roof with brick offices at the sides, but still built to the same format. There were really brilliant places, these expansion scheme airfields. But of course, when they opened for service in, in the late 1930s, we still didn't really have enough airfields and premises for the, for the RAF to operate from 
for the advent of a major war, which is what, of course, World War Two turned out to be. So we had to look at building satellite airfields. And that's where stations such as Wickenby, Kelston, Ludford Magna, Kermington, North Killingholm, Blyton, and all these other airfields. I could go on and on and on giving you names of sites, but we haven't really got the time to fit all that in. But we had to do something and do it very quickly. So we built these airfields very rudimentary with concrete runways from the, from the outset because we were starting to now produce the heavier four-engined aircraft and the expansion scheme airfields were still were still grass airfields they didn't have runways at the start at all they were still using grass based on the aircraft that we had such as the Hampton and the the Wellington which were designed to operate off grass strips but aircraft such as the Stirling the Halifax and the Lancaster couldn't really operate off grass airfields so these expansion satellite airfields and emergency airfields were built with runways from the start. We started to produce them almost straight away from the advent of, of World War II, and they were, they were rolled out over the county and over the country, really, in a very quick period of time. The accommodation was generally Nissan huts and single brick-built buildings with asbestos roofs. They were brought into service sometimes when, before they were finished, before they were actually completed. And some of the reasons for that was because in 1943, when all this was coming on stream, we had the Lancaster coming in and the, the Halifax, but the expansion scheme airfields still had no runways. So the, the big airfields like Scampton, Hemswell and so on were actually closed during World War II. The aeroplanes were sent out to these emergency airfields an example of that was the aircraft from Hemswell were flown out of Ingham or Cameringham while the runways were being built at Hemswell. Scampton's aircraft were sent to Dunholme Lodge while the runways were being built. So all this was starting to, to kick in. Um, when the runways were built at the expansion scheme airfields, they came back into fruition and brought the, the Royal Air Force up to a, a full strength capacity and were, were operated like that from the end of the war. After the end of the war, these emergency airfields were very quickly relegated to care and maintenance. Some of them were used up until about 1946 to fly aircraft from, because we'd still got a very large Royal Air Force at the time. Some of them were used to fly back repatriated prisoners of war from Europe, Elsham Wolds was used up until the back end of 1946 as a glider training sta station for the RAF with the Halifax Tug aircraft and horse gliders because at the time gliders were still considered to be a, a major instrument for projecting air power into a battle zone which of course we don't do anymore, but Elsham Wolds was closed down at the end of 1946 and the glider training unit was sent to North Luffenham in Rutland. But when these airfields were actually closed to flying, they still maintained a flying capability as in just as insurance policy if anything was going to happen again because no one really knew at the time what the future was going to hold, especially with the Iron Curtain starting to, to come down in Russia. So they were still maintained under care and maintenance for quite a few years. Even when they were returned to farming in the 1947-1948, it was on condition that the 
the farmers could farm the land in between the runways, but they still had to maintain and keep active the, the runways themselves and all the infrastructure. So after that, what happened then was that they were gradually handed back to the farmers. All the equipment was handed back. The buildings were turned into farm stores. A lot of the hangars were dismantled and, and used elsewhere because there were steel hangars that were taken down. And, and you, you'll see some, if you're out and about in the countryside, you'll think, oh, that, that looks a bit like an aircraft hangar. And it probably was. It's probably one that's been taken away from a, from a station somewhere and re-erected on a farm as a store. Some of the concrete and the infrastructure was used for storing surplus equipment, military equipment. And I, I remember when I was younger going to a military disposal sale on, on Kermington Airfield where people bought surplus military equipment. And a, a chap I used to work with, he actually bought two old army lorries from Kermington. And when he got them home, he opened the back of, of these army lorries and in the back of each one was a packing case. When he got it down, it, he opened it up and inside the back was two brand new motorbikes. So not only did he buy lorries, he bought the motorbikes as well, which he got for free. After that, the airfields were really dismantled and during the 1980s, especially in Lincolnshire, the, um, the concrete from these airfields was lifted and used in construction projects. For example, the, um, the runways at Hemswell were broken up in 1983 and the concrete was transported to use in the extension of the A180 from Barnaby Top to Grimsby. So it was all crushed and, and graded and, and poured into that. The runways from Blyton and Ludford Magna was used in the foundations of the Humber Bridge. It was all, all these things were used in, in various construction projects and some still continue to be so as they, as they gradually dismantle the, the, the remaining concrete on some of these sites. So yeah, what we see now is just basically what's left, to be honest. There's very little left of, of Elsham. One hangar is left, a J-type hangar. All the buildings now have been knocked down. Kelston, you, you wouldn't even know it was there unless you knew about it. Some of these sites as well have actually started to be taken off the Civil Aviation Authority charts because even from the air, they no longer look like airfields. But thankfully, a lot of thoughtful people and preservation societies have, have started to preserve some bits of these sites and put memorials up. So as we travel around, we can still find them and we can still know that they were there. A lot of these sites... The emergency airfields, they house one squadron of bombers or so on. And generally, when you add up the number of casualties from each site, there's between 700 and 1,000 dead at these sites who were killed flying from them. So we should remember them and we should have memorials up. And it's good to see that, that a lot of these organizations now are starting to do that. So, uh, so yeah, I hope that's, uh, hope that's okay. That's really good. Really great information. I mean, I'd heard before that a lot of the airfield uh, runways had been ripped up, but it's quite quite thought to the next time you're thundering down the motorway, you could be on the same stretch of tarmac, essentially, that, you know, Lancasters would have thundered down you know, in, during the war. Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, Elsham Wolds is a, is a classic one because the, the A15, which runs straight across the old airfield, actually follows the line of one of the subsidiary runways. 
So as you drive across Elsham Airfield, you're actually following the line of a Lancaster taking off on its uh, weary way to occupied Europe. So you can imagine as you cross it, you know, you're the pilot and, and away you go. There's an awful lot of interest in, in old airfields as well. I mean, a lot of the Facebook groups that I follow, there's a lot of people who are quite keen to try and preserve what's left. I mean, is that just a losing battle, really? I suppose industry is going to take over and the land's worth more to be developed. Yeah, that that's right. They're, they're very well placed for industry, especially around where, where I live in northern, northern Lincolnshire, because you've got the Humber ports, you've got the factories and things. So they're, they're good sites to be used for industrial purposes. However, as you rightly say, there, there are people now who have put memorials up. There's some small museums which have been popping up. There's one at, at Elsham, which is in the water treatment plant, which now occupies part of the site. There's a very good small museum, which is run and managed by a local a local gentleman who does it on his, on his own account. There are other sites, such as the Visitor Centre at Metheringham, which is a very good independent museum. The ones in Norfolk, especially the US Air Force ones, a lot of groups have got to, together to preserve the control towers and have made small museums. When I've been down there, I've always tried to visit them. But invariably, when I've been there, they're always open on a different day. So, so I've never managed to really visit many. I've only ever been to a couple. But if you pick your day, you can, you can go around and, and they're very well looked after and very well maintained, all on a volunteer basis, which is admirable, really. And in terms of visiting these old airfields, is access a problem? I mean, a lot of them are privately owned now, so you can't just wander that, that's about right. on the old yeah, they're, they're all privately track. owned. Some have got public rights away across them. So, I mean, an example of that is RAF Burn near Selby. Burn was a four-group Bomber Command airfield and was actually the, the base of a very brave pilot called Cyril Barton, who flew from there and won the Victoria Cross. So that's quite a, a good airfield that you can actually have access to. The centre of the airfield is a gliding site. It's used by the Burn Gliding Club, so that's no access. But there are public rights away which go around the perimeter track and is part of a long-distance footpath. So it's actually quite good. You can access at one corner and walk all around the, the eastern side of the perimeter track quite legitimately. So that, that is a good one to see. So really, it's just a matter of if you want to visit them, have a look on the OS map, see what access the, there is available. And if it's got a public right of way across it, then you can visit it. But obviously, the sites themselves are private property. So if you wanted to do some proper exploring, you'd have to find the owner and get permission. From what I understand, a lot of them are quite receptive to people visiting under those terms, as long as you you state what you what you want and uh, why why you want to visit there. So they're they're not entirely off limits, but you can't just go and expect to to randomly walk around, especially with these days of of rural crime. You you're liable to get arrested. And do you have a particular favourite place that you you like to go and visit? I did. Um, my, I was always drawn to Elsham Wolds because Elsham Wolds was a, um, it was planned actually as an expansion scheme airfield. If you looked at the layout of it, you could see how the layout of the buildings more or less mirrored an expansion scheme station. But it was the construction of it wasn't started until 1940. So consequently, they couldn't really build the, um, 
the buildings to the same standard. So they're essentially emergency type buildings, Nissen hut, single brick and so on, but it was laid out in accordance with the original plans. So that one is, is quite a unique station. When I was little, I used to go up there and explore Although it was actually still private property, in those days, no one really used to bother that much. Just a, a couple of kids on bikes having a look round, no one bothered. Not like they would do now. But I'm still drawn to, to that station. I still look at it when I'm flying myself. And one of my friends has a business up there. He, he runs the, he, he actually has the hangar, uses it as a farm store. So I have actually been inside the hangar. And, and seeing what it's what it is like, but there's nothing in there now apart from farm materials. But over the years, it has been virtually eliminated from the map, unless you know really what you're looking for. But that's that's the station that that I have always visited and always been drawn to. You you obviously have quite a, a, a unique perspective because as a pilot and someone who's flying over Lincolnshire a lot, you must still see the remnants of a lot of these things, especially, I suppose, in the early morning when there's dew on the ground, you still see the, the ghost outlines of a lot of these airfields? Oh, you can, yeah, very much so. It was quite useful, actually, because I trained for my com commercial pilot's licence and we had to do navigation flights and, and so on. And um, the instructor who, who I flew with always used to try and get me lost he would give me an unplanned diversion and try and get me disorientated in some way. But when I looked down, there was always some airfield that I could see and I recognised the outline. So I knew immediately where I was. And he, he never did get me lost. He, he was he was always used to laugh about that, saying that uh, never, I could never really get you into a position where you didn't know where you were. And that's all it was really, because I knew what the airfields looked like you're never very far from one when you're up there. You can always see something, even now, although it's a lot harder these days. I mean, uh, Spilsby, for example, I now have trouble seeing that because it's been totally eradicated. You can only see, even from the, from the air, you can only see part of two or three dispersal pans and the outline of a bit of perimeter track. It's been very well concealed by expansion buildings, new hedgerows have been put in, and that is now virtually totally gone. Yeah, most of them, you can still see the lines in the uh, topsoil. You can see where the runways were. This time of year is, is a good time for spotting them because the crops have been removed and the, the ground's been newly ploughed and harrowed and the marks in the, in the soil are very clear. Can you tell the difference between what would have been a satellite airfield and what would have been a more... Um more temporary structure uh, uh, air base, I suppose. The expansion scheme airfields have, have got the buildings with them. They've invariably got the hangars, which are still there because they're very useful as industrial buildings. Although there are a couple of expansion scheme airfields that have been knocked down completely, Swinderby being one of them. There's very little left of Swinderby now. That was an expansion scheme airfield. But generally speaking, the emergency airfields, such as Wickenby, Kermington, that sort of thing, most of the buildings are long gone. There's still some bits and pieces left at Wickenby, but the accommodation sites were dispersed in the local area as well. They weren't clutched all around the airfield like the expansion scheme airfields were. There were dispersed accommodation sites scattered around all over the place. And that was to minimise the damage from if there were a, a, an air attack. So if a bomb were to land on the airfield or something, it, it wouldn't wipe out the whole station in one go.
Kermington's dispersed accommodation sites are very difficult to spot. You've got to know where they were to be able to go and see anything remaining of them whatsoever. Whereas Wickenby's, there are one or two sites left which are very clear. Some have been used as building plots to build new houses on, but you can actually see where they were quite easily. The expansion scheme airfields, of course, like Hemswell, are, are now industrial estates. They've still got the hangars there. Another one was, was Binbrook. Lindholm near Doncaster is now a prison. But of course, that's still easy to see because the layout's still there. So yes, you can tell the difference quite easily. Well, I think we'll definitely get you back to talk about you know, Lancaster and Halifaxes at some point, Dave. But for now, thanks very much for joining us. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.